Steve Cleveland's weekly appearance here with DJ and PK is brought to you by Mountainland Supply, where the pros go for plumbing, landscaping, irrigation, agricultural irrigation, HVAC parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. Steve, good morning. Good morning. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And the New Year kicked off with the Utes in the Rose Bowl, which was an enormous game and an enormous event. And you live in California, so you know all about that. And you've also lived in Utah, so you know how uh, crazy our state goes for big events. And we certainly did. And then there was a little game afterwards where the Utes played the Warriors. Excuse me, the Jazz played the Warriors. And I came away with that thinking... Oh my gosh, the Warriors have done such a great job of developing role players and young guys. Wiggins has a level of confidence now. He did not blink in the fourth quarter. He scored nine straight points, and Steph Curry made big shots before that and after it. So it's not like Curry didn't do anything, because he did. But And I know when you reintegrate guys, it could mess things up, but I'm feeling like the Warriors should be the overwhelming favorite to win the championship. Am I out of my mind? Is this recency bias because I just watched that game? Well, you know, uh, first of all, I agree with you, uh, especially when I sat there on Twitter or Instagram or somewhere, somewhere, and I saw Clay Thompson make 24 three-pointers in the pregame. <laughs> I mean, they, they showed him making all 24. Somewhere on social media, I watched it a day or two ago, and it showed Clay making 24 threes in a row. Uh, he's he's going to be back soon. I, we'll see how that all figures out. But, I, you know, here's the thing about the Warriors. I actually watched that game. And I don't have an eye, and, and I've watched pretty much all of it. I just, for whatever reason, I don't normally watch all of NBA games, but I was so intrigued by that game. And I'm, I'm telling you right now that Andrew Wiggins, I mean, he's, he's an all-star. I mean, he, I don't know if he'll make the all-star team, but I'll tell you what, he is playing with such confidence, such resolve, and uh, it's fun to watch him, man. I mean, he is a huge piece of that. And and then to watch Otto Porter Jr., who I really don't even know, and I you know I, mean, I know him because I live in California, and everybody here is a Golden State fan in Northern California. But he has been just amazing. And then in that game, Iguodala hit big shots. And besides the fact that uh, uh, you know they they had 39 assists, that just so tells you. I mean, I'm sitting there watching my Lakers and just sick to my stomach. And there's no movement, and and Golden State just is in constant motion, and uh, you know, and they had to make big shots at the end to win, and and the Jazz certainly, I don't know, they scored at least I think forty or so in the third quarter. They got themselves in a position where they could win that game. Wow, just thinking about Clay coming back and what this team's got going, that coaching staff, that organization, uh, they've really turned Wiggins and Porter and Iguodala. We you know you're going to get what you get, but. He hit a huge three in that game. But, uh, yeah, I I came away feeling the same thing, is that these guys, they are hard to guard. And and they they do rely on perimeter shots, but they have great shooters. Yeah, they really do. I like the one play where uh, Curry's coming around from the left side, and he gets the ball in front of the Jazz bench, and he turns around and squares on, shoots all in one motion and drops in a three. And Ron Boone was doing the the uh, color commentating, and I like what he said. There was no, oh my gosh, and oh no, uh, hyperbolic standard or statement. I already said that word. He just said, he's unbelievable. And the way he said it, it just, like, I'm going to go walk the dog. He's unbelievable. <laughs> 
and I thought about it, and that's really the best way to sum it up because it's happened so often for so long that you don't need to scream and yell and go, Dick Vitale, I'm old baby, and all that stuff. Just He's unbelievable. And really, that says it all to me in an understated way to try to describe what this fella can do out on the basketball floor. Yeah, and, and he's in a perfect system that's been developed for him. And, uh, and because you do have to spend a great deal of time chasing him and, 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 and finding him and knowing where he's at, which allows other guys to get more open shots. And then that's what happens on great teams that have great players. And, and what defines, I think, great teams is, is you know, your fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh guys down, you know, in the depth chart. When, when they can, they just play with so much confidence. And, and I just can't tell you, no, I, I've just never seen a team move. And, and, and you know, listen, Phoenix and Utah are, are great teams as well. They're going to be right in there. But nobody moves the ball offensively. And, and they're underrated defensively as well. I mean, it, you don't think of Golden State, but I, I, I didn't realize it. But I think I heard somebody say that they were like, in terms of just points scored, they're, Golden State's number one in the NBA defensively. Now, I don't know. There's lots of categories. But uh, I think they're right up there at one or two. And, and we're always talking about their offense, but the the defense is is really 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 good. And, and uh, a good friend of mine, Ron Adams, who was there for a long, he's still there with the Warriors. He's he's not on the front bench anymore. He's in a more of a supportive role. But you know, I consider him one of the geniuses of the game. I watched him as a high school coach and a college coach, a junior college coach. But we we do talk a great deal, but. Golden State is really, really good defensively in terms of principles and where they're supposed to be. They're just, I guess the best word for me is they are absolutely connected at both ends of the floor. They are number one in defensive rating. I looked up while you were talking. Jazz are six, Suns are two, Warriors are one right yeah, now. I mean, and you could tell Ron Adams, the Gauchos really would have been somebody if he hadn't left. I'm still a little bummed about that. Thanks. Thanks for that. <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll let him know that when yeah, you see him. <laughs> That's probably probably the only person who says that to him, but nonetheless. So when I I always uh, say this, and then Pete always gets mad at me. Uh, but the NBA is a copycat league. Whatever works, right? And so the pick and roll, which when Jerry Sloan at Stockton alone did it, oh, Jerry's old school. This offense is old school. Now you flash forward 25, 30 years. And everybody's running the pick and roll, and the Warriors is old school. At times, I think I see bits of the flex offense, this pass and cutaway thing that we ran when I was in high school. Is the whole league going to spin around to that in a few years? Because the thing that really helps the Warrior defense is everybody's chasing these guys around, fighting through screens. It's bound to leave some guys fatigued and some guys missing shots late in game. Their offense is absolutely helping their defense. Well, I don't care what level you're at. If you're a high school coach or you're a junior college coach or Division One coach in the NBA, coaches watch a lot of film. And, and we, you know, coaches steal from others, uh, concepts, ideas, uh, set plays, quick hitters, you know, whatever it might be. So there, there will be an influence. And, and, I, and I think that, you know, you, you build a team and an organization for a system. And Golden State has that system, and they know what they're looking for. You know, I've watched Cleveland play a couple of times, and and they're doing things so dramatically different with playing three seven-footers. Well, that's not going to be something that a lot of people jump into because most teams aren't going to play three seven-footers at the same time. 
But teams like Golden State, teams like the Jazz, teams like Phoenix, they're kind of the standard bearers in the NBA. And and, and I, I, I there's no way that every coach in the NBA and all of their assistants and, and, you know, they've got so much experience in the game is that you do see uh, Princeton principles. You do see flex action. You, you, you do see a wheel action. You do see a lot of back screens and back cuts. A lot of things that were prevalent in, at the collegiate level, with, depending on the program. And now, you know, it, 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 you, you see a lot of this type of movement. You didn't used to see this. I mean, the Lakers are still just playing power basketball, pound it, and, 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 and do that. But the, the game is changing. And I, I watched Charlotte play for, for a few minutes of the day, and guys are moving. And So, yeah, I, I do believe the league is going to go to more movement, more action with that. I mean, the, the ball screen is not going away. It, it is certainly going to be a, a prevalent part of the NBA. But it, it, it's, it's one of those things that movement with ball screens, with back cuts, just the tiny issues. And, and, and the constant movement makes you really, really hard to guard. Now, that being said, you don't have guys that are really good shooters. And, you know, you kind of sometimes have to adjust to your talent. And where, where is the strength of our teams? And I was watching Cleveland. You know, you, you, you look at Mobley, young kid here, and, and, and they're kind of pounding the ball inside. And then Kevin Love steps out, hits some threes. So everybody has their own identity, a lot of it depending on personnel. But if you, I mean, I'm Chicago, for instance. I mean, who would have ever thought that Chicago would be, you know, in first place in the NBA East? We knew those trades took place, and we saw what happened. But you know, they're they're a, a team that can score in transition. They can beat you off the dribble. You know, they're not running. There's not a lot of action, but they keep the floor spread, and they have to respect shooters, and uh, they have, you know, they have guys that. To, Exactly, who can really attack the basket. So that's not gone away. A, a lot of the dribble drive and, and the penetration action is a big part of the NBA. It's also a big part of high school basketball in California right now and throughout, throughout the country. So uh, we do. Coaches will take and watch and, uh, and, and make tweaks. And that's one of the fun things about coaching is whether it's quick hitters. Like I used to always watch out-of-bounds plays, quick hitters, ISOs, late game stuff. When I would watch basketball, when I was really involved, I was always taking notes and implementing. And if any time you have a dead ball or a timeout, you know, you need to come out of that timeout with some kind of action that's different than what you've been doing to kind of get a, have an advantage. And so I know, I know the NBA guys are all watching each other and some have the personnel to play like, you know, Golden State to a certain degree, but a lot of them don't have that personnel set to play that way. But certainly the concepts of all these different types of actions that have accumulated over the years, it's uh, it, the, the NBA is not – I mean, obviously the screen and roll is a, a big part of that. And, and, uh, but there's a lot of other stuff going on that uh, has really made the NBA fun to watch. From the Jazz perspective, I think they're going to have to play much better to beat the Warriors if they should get them in a postseason or even Phoenix for that matter. But if I look at this individual game uh, against the Warriors, they lost, and you're you know you don't accept losing and don't think that uh, it's okay by any stretch. But if I look at it, 
I sort of can just say to myself, I can rationalize very easily with you got Ingles, 1 of 7, 0 of 6 from 3, Mitchell, 4 of 19, 2 of 9, Conley, 4 of 13, 2 of 6. Shots didn't fall. So from the Jazz perspective, I'm nowhere near getting nervous or pushing any type of panic button. No, especially when, you know, because it was, it was an aberration. I mean, I, I don't I don't have all the analytics that access to all that, but Mitchell going four for 19 at home, that, I, you know, if that happened at Golden State, okay, that makes sense. But but you're right, they, they didn't shoot the ball well. And, I mean, the third quarter they played well, but, but they're, they're a team that uh, has the capacity and capability to beat Golden State. And Golden State, I mean, Iguodala had made some big shots. And we keep saying that, you know, when you, when you take a look at, at, at the shooters that Golden State has, but they made big baskets late in the game, and they've got a lot of confidence. But, you know, when, when it comes down to nutcracking time and it's time to win games, you get in the playoffs and things, you know, I, I think teams are going to play. You know, I mean, I, you're going to see, you've seen a little bit already, but guys are going to get doubled. You know, you're going to play people differently. You're going to give certain guys shots. And that all gets figured out through the course of the year. But when playoffs time comes, you know, you, you've got to have a solid foundation offensively and defensively. But oftentimes adjustments in games – are, are the difference where, hey, you know what? We're going to take the ball out of Steph's hand every time he touches it. We're going to make somebody else beat be us. Well, right now, Andrew Wiggins and Otto Porter Jr. and uh, I forgot another another young player, they've stepped up and made those shots when you know you took the, took the ball out of his hands. But Clay Thompson coming back, it's going to be even more difficult. But I, I don't think there's any reason for the Jazz or the Phoenix Suns uh, or uh, you know a few other teams there in the West that. I mean, well, those are the top three, and they're probably going to be there right at the end. But there's no reason to panic on that. It's it's one of those things that I see. Uh, you know, there's what we probably we played half. I mean, we pretty much played almost half the season, and so there's a lot of basketball left. But I like the Jazz a lot, and I think they have a great opportunity. Uh, but they when they have bad shooting nights, because they're not they're not getting a lot of points in the paint. I mean, Gobert is scoring around the paint and stuff. And there's not a lot of attacking the rim. Certainly, Mitchell is the, is the one guy on that team that can really take it to the rack, rack and, and create, as well as Clarkson at times. But you know, they're, they're right in the thick of it. And uh, they just got to keep playing and uh, doing what they're doing. But the adjustments that could happen to make – you're in the second half of this season, there will be adjustments. And people will play people differently. And then when they get to the playoffs, the same, there will be more adjustments. But I, I mean – Utah offensively is number one in the you know in the league offensively one number one field goal percentage. Uh, they're you know in, in the top five or six defensively. I mean they're right there in a position to to win an NBA championship, and I, I think that's um, that's what they're thinking, and I know that's what the fans are hoping. On the college basketball front, the West Coast Conference had the entire uh, schedule wiped out this weekend. The Pac-12 played uh, two games and had three games canceled. How many games a week can college kids be playing? I know in AAU they play a bunch of games, but they're not getting on planes and flying all over the place uh, between every game either. Uh, how should these games be rescheduled, you think? If they should. You know... I I, 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 don't, I don't know how they're going to do it, and uh, you know it's the WCC is not you know they're not going across the country for games, and, and you, you know the distances 
they're, they all live on the West Coast, so it's probably easier there where people can get on a bus, don't even have to worry about a flight, and get to games. But I, I think it's going to be – it's problematic. I, I just worry that when I start seeing <clears> – <throat> seven, eight, nine, ten games being postponed. It, it, to be honest with you, I, I don't know. I kind of, I don't know if this is a conspiracy theory or what, or, you know, is this all COVID? Is it situations where they have these health protocols like the NBA has? Uh, is, I mean, everything seems to be asymptomatic. Uh, somebody gets tested positive. I, I don't even know what the time frame is for college players. Do they have to wait three or four days or 48 hours, be retested again. I don't understand a lot of that. My, my thinking is, and, and this is, I don't know, I'm sitting there thinking our, our programs, you hope it's all on the up and up. You know, well, we've got, we've got a kid here. We're playing Gonzaga Wednesday, and we do have a couple kids with you know, COVID, and, and I don't think we want to take a chance. I mean, I don't know who's making these decisions. I hope it's athletic directors, and I hope it's at the highest level of integrity. But when you start seeing all this, you go, wow, how are they going to figure this out? You know, and is it going to come back down to uh, – because they're not going to be able to make up all the games. I just don't see that happening. And how are we going to decide who qualifies? Is the conference tournament going to be exactly who I would determine? And then, you know, when you examine uh, the pedigree of a team over – some teams play 17 games, some play 22, some play 28 uh, – I, that for me is uh, hard to, to grasp and put my arms around. It, it makes me nervous. It just does make me nervous. And uh, hopefully, they it, it, it resolves itself and we can get things figured out. But uh, you know, guy, you played Gonzaga twice, and you played BYU once, and St. Mary's twice, and USF once, and, and and you know, you got five or six losses, and then there's other teams in your league who haven't played, only played one of those teams. Whereas the parity. How's that all going to get figured out? Will it just be the you know the NA the net or the RPI of a team that you know gets teams into the NC2A tournament? Those things it just kind of it reminds me of things that happened a couple of years ago that uh, I hope we don't go to that point because it's just you, you want to see this time of the year you want to be able to see teams play collegiately and and that, that this is an exciting time especially in February and March. He's Steve Cleveland. He joins us every week here to talk basketball on The Zone, a former BYU basketball coach. Steve, we appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Have a good week. All right, you too. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, brought to you by Mountainland Supply. When we come back, everything you missed in this show, a lot of Rose Bowl talk. We will get to that next. Stay with us.